0: The following audio is from Life Center Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. As Shane said, we've been in this book of Exodus, um, and so we've been looking at the fact that God has set a a bunch of people uh, free, and we're, we're looking in this series, free to, we're looking at the idea that God hasn't just set people free from something, but God actually sets people free to something. So we're freed in the Christian sense. If you're, not, if you're not a Christian here, this is what it kind of means to be freed from, is that we're freed from the enemy of Satan, sin, and death. That Jesus, by dying on the cross and resurrecting again, He, is, he has freed us from that. But He's also freed us to something. He has freed us to Himself and to, to live no longer as slaves, but as people who would follow Him. In our culture, there's a common tagline to to be your authentic self. That's what you need to be. You need to be your authentic self. And I think as Christians, we would say we affirm that. Yeah, you should be your authentic self. You need to be your true self. Uh, Where we differ is where that definition comes from. From the Christian worldview, we're not saying that you need to go and discover and dig down in the depths of your soul to find out who you are and then express that. We're not saying that you need to determine it based on your feelings or emotions. We believe that actually our true selves, who we are called to be ultimately as men and women, has been given, It has been predetermined by God. He gives us that gift, we receive it, and then we live out of it. And so we have some things with our culture where we're like, yes, but almost not quite. Right? There's this, there's this desire for our culture, which I think is, is there's a good desire there, to, to want to know who are we truly to be. And I believe that the Christian worldview gives us the best example and the best truth about who we are to be and to be truly free is to be men and women who have been saved by God and now live for and to God. And so I want to give you a few verses that might just set us up uh, this week and moving forward. These will come up on the screen. Galatians 5.1, the Apostle Paul writes there, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's talking to a bunch of people. He's saying, you have been freed. You've been set free. Jesus has set you free. Now don't go back to a bondage of slavery. Romans 6, verse 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In verse 12 of the same chapter, he says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. That's what freedom ultimately looks like. As those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And then verse 17 of the same chapter, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient. Listen to this from the heart. To the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have now become slaves of righteousness. These passages of scripture, when you read what Paul is trying to teach these people, it's to say, You have been freed from a way of living. And for those of us who are now Christians, we can probably look back at some of our past and go, yeah, there was a period of time where I wasn't aware that really I was kind of enslaved to a way of thinking, a way of living, and then God set me free from that. But God is also setting us free to something, to a whole new way of living. And it is this way of living that is actually the most joyful, freeing life you can live so when we hear the world talk about what it looks like to live the blessed life and the good life, or we hear so-called Christians saying that this is what it looks like to live the good life and the best life, those things are not wrapped up in materials, they're not wrapped up in wealth, they're not wrapped up in, in careers. What they are wrapped up in is a person named God, that we can know Him and walk with Him and enjoy Him. But this is going to be a fight. A fight one thing to be set free, it's another thing to stay free. So we were looking in Exodus how the law, God's instructions come not to make bad people good people, but to keep free people free. This is God's desire for us, is that he wants you to experience true, genuine freedom. And he wants you to fight for that freedom, and it will be a fight. So at the end of Paul, the apostle's life, he's lived for, for Jesus, he's planted churches, done all this stuff, he gets to the end of his life and says, I have fought the good fight. And so this fight for your faith, this fight for your freedom is exactly that. It will be a fight. You have to keep fighting for it because everything is coming for your freedom. Everything is coming for your joy. Everything is coming for your peace. Everything is coming for your relationship with God. And so I want to give us just four things today on how to continue to grow that faith and fight for it. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to look at a few other things. So you with me? Three of you. We got any more? Any more than three? Yes. All right. There we go. Okay. Number one, if we're going to grow our faith, first thing you're going to do is evaluate it. You have to start with actually just asking questions about where you are in your faith, and this is something that we have to get into as a ribbon throughout the New Testament, over and over and over again. uh, The Apostle Paul says it. Peter says it. He's like, Hey, hey, check where you're at. Where's your heart? Where's your faith? And often in, in our particular culture, we just get so busy doing all of the things that life has for us that we often forget to take stock and just ask the question, how am I doing? How is my heart before the Lord? In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable of this farmer who sows all this seed and he gives these in, like, kind of illustrations of the different types of ground. That there's the hard ground, there's the rocky ground, and there's the ground that's got soil, but there's weeds all around it. And then eventually there's the good soil, there's the good ground. And in there, he's, he's causing his, his followers, those that are listening to him, to kind of go, well, which one of those reflects me? Am I the, the hard ground? That, that when the seed gets sown, it just bounces off, birds come, eat it, and it's gone. Am I, am I the, the sort of rocky ground where there's some soil but there's not really enough there and so it kind of gets in there but it grows for a little while, the sun comes and it withers because not up depth. Am I the, the soil and the, and the ground that has lots of weeds and so as hard times come, as the cares of the world come around me, my faith dwindles? Or am I the good soil where it's planted and faith is blossoming and the love of Jesus is growing? And the the crowd, that those around him are supposed to go, "Which, which which one am I? They're supposed to evaluate. To grow in our faith, we must first examine it and evaluate it. And we have to do this all the time. You've got to continually just ask yourself questions throughout the years. I've now been a Christian for over 20 years. So I've had different times in my life where I've had to go, hey, where, like, where am I? How am I doing? Carly and I do this in our marriage. We have stock take. We have these times where we, we go out and we just ask, like, hey, how are we? And I'm really afraid of those moments because <laughs> I know the truth is coming back towards me. I'm always like, we're great, babe. We're so good. I'm so afraid to say anything, but you tell me. So here's just a few questions you can ask about your faith. Ask the question of like, how's my joy? What, what, what does it take to just take my joy away? How's my peace? As someone who struggles with anxiety and has mental health struggles, this is one I have to constantly ask myself. It's like, How, what, what am I putting my trust in? Where are things going? Because all of a sudden I'm getting anxious. And it's like, hang on. Why am I anxious? And this is constant stocktake. How are my affections for Jesus? How much do I enjoy reading the Bible and listening to the Bible? Or how do I enjoy church? Where, where are my desires? What, what is on my mind? Uh, do I want others? Do I think about others experiencing the relationship I have with God and think, yes, they, they should have this that I've got? And I think another good thing is to ask others, like, hey, how do you think I'm going with God? Like, what do you see in me? Do you see growth? Do you see, um, do you see that I've grown in joy? I've grown in peace? If we're going to grow in our faith, if we're going to fight for our faith, we have to constantly examine it. Don't just go through the motions. Constantly ask yourself different questions so you can go, okay, here's where I am. Here's where I want to be. And then we pray into that. We go, God, if my joy is low, help me to have more joy. Strengthen my joy. If my peace is gone, Lord, I want to come. I want to give my burdens and my anxiety to you and receive your peace. Number two, evaluate your faith. Number two is own your faith. Um, The Bible is really, really clear that, that faith is not to be private. Like The journey of faith is communal. But the Bible is also very clear that faith is personal. That your faith and your relationship with God is not mine and mine is not yours. It's personal and you can't, you can't borrow somebody else's faith. It, it is personal. I cannot have your faith, you cannot have my faith. I can encourage your faith, you can encourage mine. But yours is yours and mine is mine. It's personal. It might not be private, but it is personal. And God has gifted those of us in the room that are Christians, God has gifted us a measure of faith that is to be ours. And so there's a sense in which faith needs to have a personal responsibility to it, that this is your faith. Uh, I've got four children. Uh, They they live in a pastor's kid experience at home. And so you can ask my kids lots of questions about the Bible and they're going to give you great answers and I'm going to look like a really good dad. I'm going to look like the dad is discipling his kids really well. But really all it is is they've just lived in a Christian bubble. At some point... They are going to have to decide, are they going to live off the coattails of mum and dad's faith? Or are they going to make faith their own? Are they going to follow Jesus for themselves? And are they going to start to take responsibility for cultivating their faith? If, if you own a home and then maybe you own a secondary home, right? you live in one but you rent out the other, it's more than likely that you are going to be aware of all the cracks, the missing painting bits, the, the dust... The, the lack of upkeep in the garden, in the home in which you live, not in the home in which you rent. Why? Because that's your space. That's where you live. And so there's a sense in which, hey, if you're here and you're a Christian, Jesus has set you free. He's, he's forgiven you of all of your past, present and future sins. You've been reconciled to God and he has given you, he has gifted you a measure of faith. And God is calling us to participate with him, to cultivate that, to take responsibility for our faith. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible comes from Proverbs 24, which talks about guarding your heart with all diligence. For out of it flow the issues of life. And there's a sense of which the Bible is saying, hey, this thing, is, it's, it's up for attack. Guard it. Protect it. Take responsibility for, for cultivating the garden that is your spiritual soul. One of the most common expressions in, of faith in the modern era is this digital space, which you know, we're engaging in right now. We, we've got a live stream going and we're just trying to you know, create a space there for somebody sick or if the weather's like this, people can still engage, right? But in the modern age, what's actually coming and happening is a lot of people actually replacing their own walk with God to regurgitated walk with God. So they're just downloading podcasts instead of going to church and being a part of a local community. They're just listening. And it's a good, there's goodness in that, right? There's goodness that we can listen to so many great preachers around the world, but there is a sense in which we are following and listening to social media. Uh, we're listening to podcasts. We're engaging in YouTube. And we're not ourselves walking with Jesus. John Marcoma puts it this way. He says, Evangelicals have traded saints for celebrities. Celebrity culture, social media, sermon podcasting, and personal branding have led many to stake their faith on distant celebrities whose brand of faith appeals to them. This is why what you're engaging in here right now, being a part of life groups right now, is so important because that is you saying, no, this is my faith. God has saved me, not just them, God has rescued me. God has given me his spirit, and I am going to walk with God. Young person. I'll look over at this side of the room because most of them are over there. Oh, there's a few over here. (laughs) Um, At some point in time, in your walk, you have to follow Jesus. Jesus. Learn from mom and dad. Learn from those around you. Learn from the the people in this space that are more mature than you. But at some point, you must walk with Jesus. You must receive Jesus and you must follow him for yourself. And so I encourage those in the room who are a little bit younger than Steve. Pursue Jesus for yourself. Read the Bible for yourself. Come to church for yourself. And enjoy God for yourself. Walk with him for yourself. I can tell you, this is where everything changed for me. I rejected Christianity based on my parents. And my parents were trying to show me that Christianity is actually really good. And I'm like, not if you're into it, it's not. If you're doing it, it's got to be lame. It's got to be like useless. And then all of a sudden, I have an encounter with God and God rescues me. And now I know God for myself and young people, it is lit. See? Oh, oh, man. Wow. Hey? Come on. Now there's this sense in which I enjoy God for me. Because it's not just mom and dad telling me about God. I now pick up the book. I now worship and pray to him. And I hear him through his word talk to me. It is his spirit that has been given to me. It is his freedom in which I have been given. And this is where Christianity actually becomes super joyful. You can know God, you can see God, you can experience God for yourself. And I encourage you, continue to pursue it. And the community is supposed to help facilitate that. Number three, feed your faith. Because faith is personal, we are to take personal responsibility in how we feed our Faith, And I don't know, for those of you who have been Christians for a while, faith doesn't just grow automatically. Actually, if you, if you take your, your finger off the pulse, it probably dwindles. Right? You can just go through the motions for ages and ages and ages, and then it's all of a sudden everything becomes dry. Everything becomes boring. But if we were to evaluate our physical health, one of the things that we would do if we go see a doctor or someone who's a nutritionist, they're going to be talking to us about what we put into our body. That if we want to be physiologically healthy, we have to consider what we eat. Now, lately, I've had a number of assessments due, and so I've been eating lots and lots of bad, sugary things late at night, trying to stay awake because I'm a middle-aged man who's trying to somehow get an assessment done at midnight, and that's a lot harder than what it was when I was 20. It's like, oh, man, staying awake past 8.30 is difficult. right? So I just fill myself with sugar and sugar and sugar, and it's so bad for me. And my wife and my children love to encourage me. Our physical bodies need Good food, so too our spiritual. Jesus spoke to his disciples and he spoke of, of, of food that they did not know, that they weren't aware of. And what was he talking about? He was talking about the fact that I've just been with my father and listening to his words, and that has been fuel for my soul. Faith feeds on the word of God. and Without a steady diet, it can get weaker and weaker. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And if faith comes from the word, then faith can actually go where the word is absent. And so we must be eating. We must be feeding. This is what the call of Jesus is, to come and listen. Sit at the feet of Jesus and hear him speak through his word. Listen to Psalms 1 and Jeremiah 17. Psalm 1 says this. It says, Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers." delights in, meditates on. is like it's doing something to the person. Jeremiah 17 puts it this way. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Well, which is it? Is it the one that trusts in the Lord or is it the one that meditates on the word of the Lord? Which, which is it that is like a tree that is, is flourishing no matter what the season? Well, I think it's both. The person who meditates on the word of God day and night feeds their faith day and night so that their faith is strong. Here's how John Piper puts it. John Piper says, It stands to reason that faith feeds on the word because the word is what faith trusts. And where trustworthy words are not present, faith has nothing to bite into. That's the nature of faith. It exists by what it trusts. It has not life, but what it gets, it gets from the truth it believes. So if we do not feed it with a a substantial diet of life-giving truth, it will shrivel. To grow our faith, we must meditate on God's Word. We must read it. And I want to encourage you. Read it. Get out the book and just read it. Sometimes you, you don't understand it. You get lost in it. That's okay. Who here does a Bible reading program throughout the year and you start at Genesis and then you get through Exodus and then you get to Leviticus and you're like, cool, let's go to like Matthew. <laughs> you skip, right? There are times of like, oh, there are bits of the Bible that are a little bit hard. Um, there, there's language in there which is, it's a disconnect between us in a modern era. That's actually okay. Read it. Read it and read it and read it and read it and read it. And over time, God will start to grow you. It does something in you. The Bible tells us that because, we, because it's God's word, it's breathing, it's active, it's alive. It does something to your soul. I don't know if you've had this experience, but there have been days where I'm like, I'm not feeling great. And I've just opened up the book and there's just been something that God has had for me right on that day in that particular passage that have been nourishing and and speaking to my heart in that moment. The Bible is amazing. Chuck Swindoll talks of Scripture memorization. He says, I know of no other single practice in the Christian life more rewarding, practically speaking, than memorizing Scripture. No other single exercise pays greater spiritual dividends Your prayer life will be strengthened. Your witnessing will be sharper and much more effective. Your attitudes and outlook will begin to change. Your mind will become alert and observant. Your confidence and assurance will be enhanced. Your faith will be solidified. Our kids do scripture memorization at school. And uh, Keller in the past week has had, uh, Rejoice in the Lord Always. And again, I'll say rejoice. And there's a song that we used to sing. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Oh, look at this. See? I got some people that are over 40 here with me. All right? Um, there's a sense in which she's learning just by just going and just singing this song and just singing the song where she's like, God's, God's a joyful God. It's doing something in this young girl who's only six. It's just learning that you can rejoice in God. God is with you at all times. And it does something for a little six year old girl. We can get into the word. We can read it and we can learn it and we can memorize it. And it can be life to our mortal bodies. I'll give you one story where this is particularly true for me. My father had a stroke um, nearly, what, eight, ten years ago now? Hey, it's been a while. got the phone call in the morning, um, dad's had a stroke, mum's freaking out. We get to the hospital, dad's there, see dad, he has another one right in front of us. If you've ever seen someone have a stroke, it's, it's horrific, it's horrifying. And he's like, out of it. Um, they eventually you know, bring him back and then he's, he's got to try and talk to you, he's got drool coming out of his mouth, he, he can't talk, he can't understand you. And we're like, what is going on with my dad? And so every day I had to go pick up my mum, we'd drive to hospital, stay there all day, drive her home. And in that trip, we had to have conversations about our faith in God. And so we started actually just quoting scripture verses to each other about trusting him. And so one that became really prominent for us was Galatians 2.20. And I remember actually putting it on a screen for my father because I wasn't sure whether he could, he could read or whether he just couldn't communicate And this eventually became a verse that my father would learn to quote over and over and over again as he started to be able to get his hearing back and his understanding of things. And Galatians 2.20 says, For it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, that means the life that I'm now living as a physical human being, a man or woman of God, walking with God, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm picking up mum and we're driving in that car and we are going and we are anxious and we are not sure how we feel about God, but we would just draw on the wells of God's word and go, no, 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 we trust God. Whatever happens, we know he's good, not because of this situation in front of us, but because of the cross 2,000 years ago where he gave himself for us because he loves us. Get the word of God into you, build it into you, and I promise you, it will it'll produce a harvest in you right at the time that you need it, and God will speak to you through it. And lastly, exercise your faith. Last week, I was preaching down at Liberty uh, from John 7, and John 7, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And in this story and in this passage in which Jesus is, is talking, he's talking to a whole bunch of religious people who are literally in a religious ceremony for seven days and they are practicing the Exodus. They're living in tents. For seven days to align with themselves and remember all that God has done for them in their past. And they're doing water ceremonies to be reminded of the fact that God provided water in the wilderness for them. And they're doing all this. And Jesus is like, listen, you're doing doing the outward external thing, but it's not getting in and changing the internal state of your heart. Because faith is not attached to it. It's just a religious practice. And he's like, you're doing the thing... And not actually connecting it to God at all. And so when the Bible says things like, be doers of the word and not hearers. It's not just saying, do things for God. It's not just saying, serving kids men. Although every single person should do that. Right? It's not just saying, come and set up and be on a team and do, do outward external things. It's not just saying, go through the rituals of rocking up to church. Or going through Bible reading plans or whatever it might be. What it's saying is, Listen. Do, do from a relationship with Jesus where you have been set free and now live for him. Live out of that. Enjoy him and start to do. Our staff team, we're currently going through a book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship by Pete Scissero, and they're loving it. They're loving it, how it's really pushing on them to not just be doing for the sake of doing, but doing from a place of being of walking with Jesus, knowing Jesus, and out of that, when you start to do, you do from a completely different place. So the Bible is calling us to be like a river. Come and drink, and out of us will flow this river. It's this idea that it comes into our heads, it comes into our hearts, and then it starts to go out from our hands, that we love to serve Jesus' mission in this world. And we seek ways to serve him, his people, and those around us that don't yet know him. But we do so from a place of being freed. Not a place of earning, but a place of receiving. So as the band come up, LCC, we're going to be getting into some practicals of what this looks like. But today I wanted to just challenge us and ask us, where are we today? How's our faith? Has the good news of Jesus become old news? When, when, when we hear about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, do we stop and ponder like the fact that we are freed from guilt and shame for the rest of all eternity? When we're reminded that he rose again to give us new life and he gave us his spirit, does that excite us? Does that give us hope? That we have the spirit of the living God with us, helping us. That we're not trying to do this Christian life apart from God. We're doing it because of God and with God. How's your faith? Is it yours? Are you cultivating the garden? The depths of, of your heart and soul? Are there weeds that you need to pull up again and say, you know what, I'm not letting that be in my heart. I'm not keeping that stuff. I'm fighting for this. I'm not going to allow those things to come in and steal my joy and my walk with Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you're not in a great place, I would love to pray with you. We would love to journey with you. If you're here and you're not a Christian and you want to know God, we would love to journey with you. We have Bibles down there that you can have. We have people here who can journey with you. And if you're here and you're actually going really well, keep fighting. Don't stop fighting. And come and be encouraged again in some of the spiritual practices of which God has freed us to enjoy and express and experience. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.